Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Before we start, I would like to draw your attention to my weekly email newsletter, Friday Focus. Each Friday, I focus on one topic with one action arising. The link to sign up is in the show notes or head over to amyrolinson.com and sign up right now. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by Lee Jackson. Hello, Lee. How are you today? I'm great, Amy. Thanks for inviting me. I've heard a lot about your podcast. I've listened to a few and uh, very kind of you to ask me. Thank you. Well, from one podcast host to another, it's going to be an interesting conversation. Yes, I love I love uh, doing podcasting. I very nearly uh, had a career in radio. I love the sort of medium. I mean, even though we're kind of doing this over video, I do love the medium of audio only. There's something quite special about that, actually. Yeah. So what happened? Why did the nearly career not take off? Well, I've been a DJ most of my life. Uh, back in the days, I was a kind of a youth worker and I was in a band and I was DJing and I used to do lots of events and parties. And and I had a sort of a decision to make. Do I become a, a club DJ? Do I become a, a uh, radio DJ? Or do I go into youth work and be what was a schools worker? So a youth worker based in schools. And I chose that one. So I still DJed a bit. But uh, radio DJing particularly would have been like a full-time job. And so I did some charity radio stations, did some training, loved it. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't for me full-time. Uh, and do you think you might revisit that at some point? Or is that a, a good distant dream that you will never fulfil? Well, I, I know a few radio hosts and radio DJs and stuff like that. And it's, it's not a particularly a job that I don't think I'm that keen to do now. But I can simulate that by being on podcasts and hosting podcasts and and I guess being a speaker, which is what I am. So um, I think that that really helps. So the, that kind of scratches that itch, I suppose, Amy, uh, of doing that with there's, there's just something I, I used to I did a late night show on a charity radio station for a, a month when I was younger. And there was something really amazing about speaking to people at 11 o'clock at night. There was something like. I just really enjoyed it. It was just a really nice thing. And now they're a drive time show and stuff like that. And I just like, I suppose I just love connecting with people. I guess that's at my core, really. So connecting with people, you then went off into the youth working in schools. How long was that? Is that forever? Has that been everything you've done since? So I, I did a few random jobs like you do when you're younger. I'm sure you had a few of those, Emmy. Um, <laughs> a few random jobs. I was uh, worked in a in the court in the county court. Worked in the crown court. Um, I always joke that I thought I'd work as a criminal and start as a criminal, work my way up. Um, that's a joke. I was doing admin, and then I was worked in a firm of solicitors in Leeds City Centre for a couple of years. But but while I was doing that, I was doing youth work. I was in a band. I was performing. Um, I was doing all sorts of stuff, even really big performances like in Manchester Arena, Sheffield Arena and places like that, all part of the sort of youth work scene. So um, 
yeah, so I, that was kind of part of, I guess, what I did really. And then, so I did 14 years as a youth worker based in schools in uh, Leeds, in secondary schools. So my job was to communicate with uh, slightly grumpy teenagers. That was my job, and I loved it. It was tough at times, but looking back at it, I'm really glad that I did it, and I, and I learned such a lot from that. I still have good friends there as well. And what is it that's occupying your time now? Yeah, so I guess for the last 14 years, I've been a full-time professional speaker, uh, trainer, coach, author, you know, we all have these little titles that uh, are attached. But yes, I write books. Uh, yes, I occasionally coach people. But really, at my core, I am a professional speaker, a motivational speaker and a presentation coach. Those are the two things that take up 90% of my work. And um, so I like to tell people that I am either on a stage or, you know, pandemic-wise, I'm on a camera with an audience in front of me on a stage or I'm teaching someone else to do that so that is what I do and uh, I really enjoy both sides of it actually both sides of it yeah and thinking back to those times when for the 14 years that you were working in youth work did you know that there was a career to be made in professional speaking no absolutely not I had never heard of it I knew people were speakers I mean I was you know I was a speaker speaking to mainly assemblies in schools you know I was a public speaker I guess and then when it sort of came to an end of the charity um I went part-time to sort of look at my future still worked for the charity but went part-time and then when it all came to an end after the part-time bit I thought I wonder if I could make a living doing what I love and that is speaking to audiences and so I honestly googled professional speaker and found out that not only was it a job um, but it was an organization as well and uh, that's when I bumped in to the professional speaking association or the PSA as we know it and um, went to my first meeting and met some amazing people who one or two of them I still know and work with now uh, one of them that you know very well as Ricky Arundel yeah I met I met her in Gosh, that must be about 14 years ago now at the first ever meeting over a cup of tea in a very strange little hotel in Leeds. <laughs> and it's funny, isn't it? Because I speak to a lot of professional speakers who have found their way in the organisation and in the profession, but by completely by accident. Yes. I think for most people, speaking it tends to be a second career. That's what I see with a lot of people. Not everybody, but for most people, they've had like a, maybe in, in, in the PSA, I mean, there's 590 speakers in the PSA, I think now. I think maybe 80% of them were probably in a corporate job of some sort, in a job of some sort, and then they became a speaker, often on that expertise or related to that expertise. And then other people had just started their businesses, they maybe their coaches, and they have a, a business model, which is speaking to coach. So they go to business events and speak in order to get coaching clients. But I definitely would say, call myself a speaker who occasionally coaches and does training rather than a trainer who speaks or a coach who trains. Or It gets quite complicated, but I'm definitely good, I think, Amy, with um, I'm definitely good with big numbers, big groups, 
and I specialize in slightly reluctant audiences, I would say. So from grumpy teenagers to reluctant audiences, where does the the motivation for you come from? For me? Oh, well, yeah, I knew you were going to ask these deep questions today, Amy. I knew it. <laughs> well, uh, motivation is something that I study and something that I'm fascinated by. And motivation is a really complex thing. If anyone can just tell you it in one sentence, I don't think that that's particularly accurate. So it comes from my background, comes from my values, comes from my beliefs, uh, comes from my faith that I have. Um, yeah, my upbringing, uh, my wife, it comes from all sorts of different things. But I think fundamentally, if you were to really scratch the surface, I think fundamentally, I like to help people. And that's why I speak. And to give you the sort of opposite of that, one of the most difficult things, I think, in my life, uh, apart from all that, you know, I'm not talking about tragedies and everything else, in the day-to-day -day of life, I think one of the things that I find the most difficult is when someone needs help and they won't receive it or they can't get it. Because I'm, I'm very pragmatic, very practical, I'm very down to earth, I love to share. It's like anything I've learned, I love to share that. And sometimes you see friends posting stuff on Facebook or something and you just think, oh, wow, you really need some help. But you also get the impression that they are not very open to help and or they just don't know where to go for help. And I think, yeah, that's often a real frustration for me. So maybe my why is, if you want, the branded why is I help people to get good. That's the branded why. My brand is get good. And get good has two meanings. It's about getting good at things. And it's about getting good as a person, I think. So I help people to be better humans. I help them to be more motivated at work, better presenters. And occasionally, like the day after tomorrow, I'm going back into a school and I'm helping 15-year-olds uh, pass their exams because I've written some books about that in the past. And uh, schools still contact me and I still go into schools occasionally um, and do that. Uh, business audiences are very easy in comparison to Monday morning, uh, a school assembly for one hour with 15-year-olds. I do that just to keep myself on the ball, I think, a bit. <laughs> And you said that was your branded why, but you were just about to say something about the frustration piece that might be a, a more of an informal. Yeah. So, yeah. So my branded why is the, I help people to get good. My other, my other why is that I love to help people. You know, I, I love learning. Uh, I'm learning all the time. Not a particularly good reader, by the way, that's could be a, that could be a whole podcast in itself. I do read and I can read but actually, I find that I learn in different ways. And podcasts actually are one ways that I learn, uh, yours included, where I will, you know, listen to something about a subject, learn about it, go deeper. Yeah, so it's not just about learning about books. But yeah, so yeah, but the, the non-branded why is I love people and I want to help them uh, in all walks of life, I suppose. And you said you 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 took some time out before you were going to going to become a, a speaker to look at your future what were your reflective processes when you were taking that time out well I had a, a very understanding wife 
um, and we agreed as a couple. I mean, I have, I have kids, so the kids were quite young at that stage. Uh, and we agreed to just earn a bit less money. I mean, youth workers wasn't earning, I'm not earning corporate books in those days anyway. Um, so money's never been a motivator, interestingly, for me particularly. I earn money. I find it useful. I enjoy it uh, because it puts a roof over my head, but it's not a motivator for me. It's just an essential. And I think I, we, we just agree to let's live on a bit less money. And, and, and my wife, Claire, was amazing and just was like she wanted me to be the best, to find the best thing for me. Because um, there was some, well, when I left this, 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 this charity, um, which I won't name, but when I left this charity, there was, there was a bit of hurt there. There was, it wasn't the best leaving, shall we say, possible. You know, there was some uh, stuff that didn't really help. So I guess I was kind of dealing with that. This was a charity that I'd founded myself. And then, uh, you know, I was on my way out and was kind of asked to leave a bit quicker than I was expecting, should we say. I hadn't done anything wrong. They just wanted me to move on, really. Um, and that was a lot of, yeah, there was a lot of stuff in that. And so I processed that and literally thought, could you make, could I make a living doing what I think I'm pretty good at or what people validate me? And I'm sure you've talked about validation a lot in your dozens and dozens of podcasts, but it's, it's when people validate what you do, it's, it's a real, it should be a really red flag to you. Like when people say to you, you're good at that, you got to stop in your tracks and you've got to write that down. And dozens of people said to me over the years, you're really good at speaking. I enjoyed listening to you. I could listen to you for hours. Wow, that was good, Lee. Those kind of questions, I'd, I suppose I hadn't written them down in the early days. But even, as, even from my late teens, people have said that to me. And I thought, oh, right, maybe if that is how it works, maybe I can do that for a living. Because I, I, I guess I have a lot of people who, um, I have a few people in my life who seem to have done a job that they don't like. And they've done it because they earn a bit more money. And I've never been of the opinion to do a job for a long time just because you earn money, because money is just money. And, you know, the person who dies with the most toys still dies. You know, that's taken it to a cheery place, Amy, hasn't it? There we go. <laughs> well, let's take it back to that moment where you, you discover the PSA, you meet the wonderful Ricky Arundel and you're there in the hotel in Leeds and you hear the people speak at that event. Can you remember who were the speakers that day? Can you remember what then took you on the journey for the next 14 years? I think um, I think there was a guy called Jeff Ram there who's a friend of mine from the Northeast, good speak, great speaker. Um, he was, I think he might have been deputy president or just taking over, I think, maybe, of that. So I kind of got to see him and a few others. And I can't remember all the names now. Uh, some have moved on and my brain probably isn't as sharp as it was for names. But um, there was, it was suddenly, I think what I noticed in the room was there was a real buzz in the room. I think it was because it was 80% extroverts. I think that's probably true. Not everyone, not all speakers are extroverts by a long shot. But the PSA conference is the loudest conference I've ever been to. There's no doubt about that. 
the bar the bar on a night time is 250 speakers all wanting to be heard you know um so it's it, there was a real buzz in the room and it had that kind of entrepreneurial spirit as well which i liked even when i founded a charity you know there was entrepreneurial part to that of making something out of nothing which is i was part of a team that made something out of nothing and that charity still exists today so there was entrepreneurial there was passion there there was also a few wacky people as well maybe a few people that are different to me um you know and i quite like diversity i quite like hanging out with people who are slightly mad and i don't mean that in a horrible way i mean that in a lovely kind of eccentric sort of way and uh, yeah so it just ticked quite a few boxes really and i quite like that and uh, met some good friends along the way, like John Hatauker and, um, and and other people that have been involved in that, so Richard McCann and a few others that are based here in, in Yorkshire in England. There's something special about Yorkshire. They produce, obviously, clearly very good speakers, but also historically incredible sports, men and women. So it, there is something about the air up there that that is special. Yeah, I think it's the weather, I think. You know, it's just the, just the cold weather. It's a bit colder than where you than where you are, Amy. I'm sure, but uh, yeah, I think maybe there is there is a little bit of Yorkshire grit. I'm not originally from Yorkshire. I'm originally from a little bit further north and northeast, a place named Middlesbrough in the northeast of England. But yeah, there's something about the north I think that is um, yeah pretty gritty and a little different. Yeah. So where are you applying your grit now? Well, what what's on the agenda for you? Great question. Well, at time of recording, I think that's the official phrase, isn't it? At time of recording, I am working as a speaker and still speaking and training on and offline, uh, hybrid and all the rest of it. I mean, literally today, I'm, well, I'm speaking to you here today. I've got, I think on Friday, I had an online event that I did. And tomorrow I'm speaking in person. So this is what I do in person or online. But in the background, my little task at the moment is I'm writing my 13th book. So, uh, and that book's called Get Good at Work. And that's, I have a keynote and a workshop called Get Good at Work, which I do at staff away days and business conferences and stuff like that. Helps people to be motivated and productive and, and have fun at work. So I'm making that into a book, which is going to be a book with lots of top tips in it. Not a long form book, but a lot of top tips. Um, and so I'm working on that at the moment. I have a slight problem as I've got about twice as many words in it already than I need. Um, but that's fine. That's fine, Al. It's all part of the process. Because you're an author, I think, Amy, aren't you? Not yet. No. Why are you not? I thought you'd done no. your Y book, sort of. I have not. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's work in progress. <laughs> yeah, well, this one's kind of in the background. So it's not, I wouldn't just take, you know, a month off work to do it. I'm just doing it when my diary allows kind of thing. Um, but I've I've I'm, I've 90% finished the gathering stage, which is gather anything you've ever said about that subject into one thing. And now I'm starting to the next stage, uh, probably next week or the week after, will be the filtering stage of being absolutely brutal with myself and getting rid of stuff that I don't need. And actually, I think I have another book in me, maybe one more book in me, which will probably be called Get Good at Life. And that will be not necessarily like it'd be life advice rather than work advice and there's definitely crossover between those two books 
So I've realized that writing Get Good at Work means I'm, other, I'm starting to write the other book by osmosis, really. So I'm keeping stuff aside for the next book. Because one of the things that if you don't know, sorry, I feel like I've harped on a bit here, but let me give a top tip to your listeners. Uh, when you're learning, record stuff, write it down, keep websites, write notes, write reflections, write stories that happen to you. Because you get to a point like this where then you can grab those things and reflect on them and use them in talks and workshops and books as well. So uh, I've probably done, I've recorded too much. That's been my problem, Amy. Yeah, huge amount of content. How do you filter it all out? So so 13 books is is prolific and, and you know, clearly there's going to be a 14th in, in the making. But why stop there? Why, why sort of, is there not any more to come? I'm sure there is. Maybe there is. I, I wouldn't never say never, but this one will take till the spring to sort out, I guess. You know, you want to give that a good year or so and do that. Um, I'm 51. So, you know, well, I just keep writing books. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. But but actually there's a, yeah, the, book, the books for me are never, they're never egotistical. So they're never... Oh, I'm writing a book. Look at me, everybody. I'm writing a book. It's, it's, I'm writing it. Look, I found this advice. I found this information. I want to put it in a way that people can share it and pass it around. So for me, it's like if I've got stuff to share, I'll write it. But once I've done that, I'll have done, I've done get, get good at presenting, get good at slides, get good at school, uh, which is the school book that, that's repackaged into that one. Get, get good at work, get good at life. There's not a lot left after that. I think I've kind of I've got the the full shebang there. You know what I mean? So. Well, I mean, you say you're 51, so you you know you've barely just entered into midlife. There's a lot, lot, lot to come yeah. soon. Yeah. Exciting. Oh yeah, I'm not into retirement. Um, <clears throat> I was uh, my dad was a vicar, and uh, we used to have lots of discussions when he was kind of my age. I guess we would discuss things, and he always used to say to me. He says, what you need to understand, Lee, is that uh, retirement is not biblical. He would tell me. He says, I've looked at it and it's not in the Bible. And he says, if it's not in the Bible, I'm not going to retire. Now, officially, he retired. Um, he's passed away now. But, but, but actually, he never retired. He was always doing funerals and weddings. And, and he was a chaplain at, at the local hospice. And, yeah, so I kind of get, why would you retire from something that you love? Yeah, I mean, retirement was created purely so that they could replace factory workers. It was an industrial revolution that, that they needed to have people who are younger and more skilled. And so they created the whole scheme. And that's where people then have adopted it. But absolutely, you know, why would you retire from something you love? There's no no need to do that at all. Tell me more about we were talking about the motivation being a complex thing mm. and that there were so many different layers involved. You talked about your background, your values, your, your beliefs, your faith and your upbringing and, and, and your, your partner as well. So tell me, you know, did, what, let's go into one of those. Let's start with the values piece. Cause I think that that's a, a core thing in terms of purpose, in terms of why you're doing what you do. How do your values guide you, Lee? Yeah, I think there's, there's a, there'll be quite a lot of debate about whether values change over time. I think that's an interesting debate. I think some 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 of your values are set, I think, and some become flexible and, and change a little bit as you grow and learn and that kind of thing. But values are very much the sort of, they're very much the kind of compass, I think, and also the boundaries as well. Um, I think in my business, like 
my values, one of my values is, is I really value uh, integrity and honesty. And uh, there's been times in my business, both on and off stage, where it probably would have been easier to lie than to tell the truth. It probably would have been easier to stretch the truth a little bit and that kind of thing. And actually, I choose not to do that as well. I'm not, please don't think I'm perfect because I'm not, Amy. you probably know me well enough. I'm not perfect. But um, but I think that's quite easy. And I've seen, and I've seen other people in all sorts of business and charities, in fact, change what they do to fit in or to do something. And actually, it takes them down a road which can be pretty horrible, actually. Like going back to my charity days, the golden goose for charities was to keep the funding coming in. And if you had a big funder, it was like, hey, you've got a big funder here. You know, they're going to give me whatever it is, you know, six figures a year. You can sit back and enjoy that. And we don't have to panic about money. When I started the charity, there was only enough money to pay me for a month, for instance. So it was very much a winging it kind of thing. And what happens is some charities then you suddenly realize that they then become the sort of slave to that big funder. And then they start changing their work and it gets away from why they originally were formed. So they change their work to fit the funding rather than to fit their values and their purpose. And, and, and I think that's on a, a charity uh, or an organizational or a business or even a personal level is, is quite a tricky one. It's money and fame and, and probably sex as well are the things that uh, get thrown at people and, uh, and, and uh, yeah, it becomes tricky. So your values are good boundaries, I think. They let you say that I go, can go this far, but no further. You know, that I'll do this. Um, like, for instance, let me give you another example. I've never talked about any of this stuff, Amy. You're very good. Uh, see whether you edit this out. I don't know. Give me another example. I've I've met a lot of speakers and a lot of business people, but I would choose very carefully who I went into business with. So I'll 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 be pleasant with everybody. I'll smile. I will drink coffee and or beer with anybody, pretty much, you know. But I'll choose very carefully who I go into partnership with because I have had my fingers burned in the past on that. And so, so I think you, you need to, I, I, I love the expression to be, um, and I think it's a biblical expression, in fact, to be as wise as a serpent and as gentle as a dove, I think is a nice phrase. So wisdom is important, you know. It's very underrated today. People love knowledge which is the accumulation of knowledge, but they don't value wisdom as much. And uh, I can accumulate knowledge extremely quickly. I could put all of your podcasts, how many have you got? Over 100 episodes now, Amy, isn't it? Uh, 240 <laughs> at the time of recording. Gosh, I can't even keep up 200, right? <laughs> so so I, I could literally put on 200 and odd episodes of yours. I could put them at four times the speed and I could assimilate that knowledge very quickly. But unless I use some of that knowledge with wisdom, there is no point. So I think wisdom is, is another value of mine and something that I strive to continue to do. Sometimes me for wisdom is keeping your mouth shut. 
sometimes it's choosing people very carefully uh, and having people around you that you can talk to. Um, and that, in most interviews I do, I talk about this a lot, and that is to have people in your life who, who love you and want the best for you, but can tell you no, or can tell you, are you sure that's a good thing, Lee? So I have a couple, some accountable relationships in my life, which is extremely unfashionable, but extremely helpful in my opinion. Unfashionable in what sense? Um, I, I don't think people like accountability. And I don't think people like to be held to account. Or people, I think I heard the expression, people love the idea of accountability until they are held to account. So you choose wisely who your people are to do that. And in the sense where they have challenged you and there's maybe those awkward moments, what next? Well, they don't go anywhere. They're, they're friends of mine and they stick with me and uh, they've been through some difficult times with me over the years. So in that group, there's two or three of my very good friends that have been with me for a long time. I also have a mastermind group, which is a, a business accountability group. But that's very much about business. This I have a personal accountability group, which meets every every four to eight weeks online or in person. Um, and yeah, we ask. Yeah, and so they're with me. So they'll say, are you sure you want to do that, Lee? Or, or they'll, they usually just let me talk it out because they know me really well. They know that I'm a speaker and they know that I'm not totally extrovert, but I'm quite extrovert at times. So actually I work out stuff by speaking it out to them and they will reflect back and, and listen. And so one of the guys is really quiet. He's a, he's, he's a community worker in Leeds and he's a super quiet guy and he listens. He says, mm, quite a lot, listens and comes up wisdom. Uh, the, 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 other, the other guy is, um, runs a big church in the Midlands. So he's a leader and is involved in that stuff and has the, he was a youth worker as well when I knew him you know in fact we were all th all three of us were youth workers and I also have a friend who occasionally joins us as well and he's a dentist so we really have a mixed bag of stuff of people and they're just good friends good laughs and occasional nudges and kicks that help me and it's interesting you said that you meet up every sort of four to eight weeks because that's quite a lot of time for things to happen, to move on. So when you get to those meetings, there will be lots of things that you've had to be hold yourself accountable to or, or for in between these sessions. So when you turn up, do you hold on to things that you've been waiting for just for this session or do you, and, and then talk it out in that space or do you have a practice in between? Uh, so we have a WhatsApp group and we text each other. I'm very careful how many WhatsApp groups I go into, <laughs> but uh, we have a WhatsApp group and uh, and we'll contact each other and we'll say things like crazy week this week, guys, you know, or this is happening. It's a bit mad. And we'll often just ring each other in between. But the meetings are more like sharing together. And then we just do a big catch up. Um, but the key to that group and maybe this is probably in the Get Good at Life book, that book, 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 book that I will write eventually. The key to that is that I, we, we get to each other to ask, we ask difficult questions and we are 
we have given permission for that person to ask us difficult questions. And I think that it's the permissioning, I think, Amy, is the key. Uh, we, we have talked, I think, a few times about speakers in the PSA and out of the PSA who give unsolicited feedback who will just randomly see a speaker and then walk up to them and go, can I tell you three things that was wrong with that, please? Which is a nightmare scenario and it's a horrible thing because you have not gained permission to do that. So I think the key is that is get permission from people. So these couple, these, you know, these two or three, these sort of three guys in my life, they have permission to ask me questions, which I won't go into now, but they're, they're questions that they get permission to ask me and no one else no one else asks me those kind of questions, really. You know. And would you put this practice into a, a, a mental health field? Would you say that this is this is helping you with your mental health? Um, yes, partially. I think it's a, a resilience thing. Uh, I think it's about purpose, uh, resilience, and maybe low-level mental health as well, and also integrity as well. So, like, I'll tell you. I'll tell you one of the questions. I, I, I don't want to major on this because I don't want to uh, overtake your podcast. But one of the questions that they ask is, um, how's, because we're all married, and one of the questions that we ask is, how's your relationship with your wife? Which is not a question that a lot of blokes ask each other, let's face it, Amy. But for, for us, that's an important question. I, I love and value and honour Claire as my wife, and my relationship with her is a very, very important. And... Um, so I, I want to make sure that I'm doing that because marriage or being in a long-term relationship is, uh, requires work. And, uh, I have to still work on it because I'm still a bit of a plonker because I am male and a bit of an idiot sometimes. And I, you know, like I probably try to give her solutions to things when she just needs me to listen, for instance. Um, Yeah. So there you go. And it comes right back to that frustration that you feel when you see someone who needs help and won't receive it or can't get it and you're desperate to help. And and that's the, the sort of automatic mode that you, you slip into, partly because of your experience in your work, but also just because of how you just want to help people. It's just who you are. There was something I read a while ago. It was in Darren Hardy's The Compound Effect, and he recommends relationship reviews with your loved ones. And it was something that I implemented about five years ago. Now, I've been with my husband. We've been together 26 years, married over 20. And we do that. It's a practice every week just to check in with one another because it's for, we have very independent ways of living. And yet, you know, we are incredibly involved in a relationship as well. And we've got two grown up, well, not grown up children, but they're late teens and yeah. it's, I think it's I think it's a fundamental question to ask, you know, how's your relationship with your partner going? Because it is such a fundamental part of who you are. And then you talked about boundaries earlier, about having the boundaries between work and life. And they do get blurred. You know, you can't avoid that sometimes. So maybe there's get good at marriage on the cards here. I'd have to ask my wife about that. <laughs> We do. I, I did write some men's books um, and used to do a lot. Of, well, I used to do a lot of talks at men's conferences a while ago. Those things do exist. Um, believe it or not, there's a lot more women's conferences, but there is some men's conferences. 
and I, and I, and I, I used to, and we used to ask those kind of questions and, and we have written a little bit about that. I've written about that over the years, I guess. But yeah, maybe that is a thing. Um, gosh, I, I don't know about that. Uh, what's fascinated me over the years is the way that men and women um, are slightly, are equal. I believe that we're equal, but different. And the way that Claire lives her life and communicates is very different to the way I do. And so that's that's always fascinated me. So for me, it's about how do I put myself into her shoes and and how does she understand me? And But a lot, I think a lot of it, you're right, Amy, is, is probably practical stuff. It's like, are we getting together this week? When did we last have an hour on our own? Um, you know, those kind of things. And particularly when you've got kids in the mix, it becomes a, a real pressure. And uh, a, a lot of people... Their marriages, you know, when their kids are grown up, their marriages fizzle out. That's quite a common statistic. Mm. And uh, I hope that uh, me and Claire will be around for a while. We've got an empty nest now. Um, so we've lasted this long, I guess. <laughs> and how did that empty nest feel for you? Was it a shock? Did you, was it hard to adjust? It was a shock for my wife. She, she grieved it. Uh, I just wanted the peace and quiet, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> That was fine. I mean, I love my kids very much, but the peace and quiet is a what was it? Was it Eddie Izzard that said many years ago, most men just want the TV remote and a bit of peace and quiet. That was their purpose in life, and you know, I've got I've got deeper purposes in life for that. But I can I can understand that. I can get that. So yeah, yeah, it was. I think we processed it very differently. Uh, I'm quite emotional. I think as I get older. You know, you'll catch me crying at various things, including talks. I started crying. I was coaching someone the other week that did a talk about transplant. I do a lot of work in the NHS. I love working in our NHS. And uh, I was crying. We were all crying. It was all about transplants and stuff. And I, I think I'm becoming a bit more emotional as I get there. So when I see my kids, I'll be, I, I can be quite emotional at times. But when they're not around during the week, or any, I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh, they've got their... They've got their own lives to lead. And you mentioned deeper purposes. We've we've sort of talked around some of them. Are there deeper purposes here to share, Lee? What my deeper purposes? Um, mm. Well, I, th I think it is encapsulated in what I've said earlier. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't share about my faith on stage because I'm not paid to do that. But you know, I've had a faith since I was a teenager, that's affected me a lot. That gives me a deeper purpose, gives me a purpose beyond the earth, I believe. That sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? I'm not like, but you know, I think there is a bigger picture and I think there is a bigger purpose for sure, yeah. And people find that in different ways, but um, I think uh, without, I don't think we have the time to go into all of that, but, uh, but yeah, I, faith is important and it does affect my values and, um yeah yeah gosh great questions amy <laughs> well thank you for sharing such deep reflections on, on where you have been it's from that nearly career in as a, a radio dj through to where you are now which is creating more incredible resources for people in different ways so thank you so much lee how would people get in contact with you Sure. If you do want to contact me after all that, uh, feel free. <laughs> uh, 
it's uh, my website is simply leejackson.org, leejackson.org. All the information is there, or you can find me on Twitter at Lee Jackson, LW Jackson, or you'll find me. I'm not hard to find. If you want to find me, you'll find me. And I do give away loads of free resources. Uh, in the last three months, I've been doing a video every day or every two days. I'm giving away tons of little tips for work, for life, and uh, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, motivational stuff. So it's all there. And most of my, apart from my talks, most of my resources are out there free. And you're welcome to do that, as well as my books are on my shop as well. So leejackson.org. Well, audience, if you're listening, and I know you are, don't just accumulate this knowledge, turn it into wisdom is my my top tip from what you what Lee has been sharing with us today. He's got all of the resources there, but it's all about the application. So feel free to take and use it and apply it to how it best works for you. Lee, thank you so much for coming on Focus and Why. It's been a real pleasure and a real lovely journey to, to explore with you today. How would you like to close out the episode for us? Um, I'd just like to thank everyone for their time. Time is the one thing you can never get back. You've just given me and Amy a big chunk of your time, so I hope it was useful. And uh, I wish you every success as you continue to get good. Thank you for listening to Focus on Why with me, Amy Rowlandson. To show your appreciation and to help other listeners understand what value you have received from tuning in today, please leave me an Apple Podcasts five-star review. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter or join the inspiring, uplifting and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, Focus on Why.